this is not your home. Many people have been sold a lie that as soon as they have faith in Christ, they're going to walk into this new home that they have and everything's going to be perfect and everything's going to be the way that it is. And that is not what the Bible is teaching us. Your present life in this world is not your home, but it is a journey towards your home. Right now, I want you to picture this. You are in the wilderness, you are in exile, and you are in a desert. That's what it means to walk through this life in your journey towards your new home. If you make your home in this world, it's going to feel like Miley Cyrus is coming in like a wrecking ball, crashing through your home over and over and over again. And I think we can all say that that's a little bit too much, Miley Cyrus. So that's where you laugh. Go ahead. I'm going to get boring if you don't laugh, I'm telling you. So that is what Jesus is teaching us. Not so much about Miley Cyrus, but more so about this is not our home And we are in this wilderness journey towards our home, and we are thirsty in the desert. And Jesus is saying, come to me, all of you who are thirsty. That's what he's teaching us in our text today. We're in John 7. We got 20 verses to read, verses 32 through 52. It's up on the screen. Here's what it says. The Pharisees heard the crowd muttering these things about him meaning Jesus, and the chief priests and the Pharisees sent officers to arrest him. Then Jesus said, I will be with you a little longer, but then I am going to him who sent me. You will seek me and you will not find me. Where I am, you cannot come. The Jews said to one another, where does this man intend to go that we will not find him? Does he intend to go to the dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? What does he mean by saying, you will seek me and you will not find me, and where I am you cannot come? On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, Out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believe in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not yet been given, but Jesus was not because Jesus was not yet glorified. When they heard these words, some of the people said, This really is the prophet. Others said, This is the Christ. But some said, Is the Christ to come from Galilee? Has not the scripture said that Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was? So there was division among the people over him. Some wanted to arrest him, but no one laid hands on him. The officers then came to the chief priests and Pharisees and said to them, why did you not bring him? The officer said, no one spoke like this man. The Pharisees answered them, have you also been deceived? Have any of the authorities of the Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. Nicodemus, who had gone to him before, who had gone to Jesus before, who was one of them, said, Does our law judge a man without, having, without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? They replied, Are you from Galilee too? Search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. Now, in order for us to understand 
what Jesus means here when he says that he is the living water. We've got to understand where he was, what was going on when he said, out of him will flow rivers of living water. We've got to understand where he was. And here's where he was. He was at the Feast of Booths also known as the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, here's what's happening here at the Feast of Booths. This is a time when the Israelite people, when the Jewish people went and celebrated all the ways that God provided for them when they were in the wilderness. So for the Israelites, for the Jewish people, God freed them from slavery, but he didn't bring them all the way right immediately into the promised land, right? He didn't first bring them into the promised land. He first brought them into the wilderness. So the Feast of Booths is a time of celebrating and remembering how God provided for them in the wilderness. And so here's what they did. For a week, they went on like this massive camping trip. Everybody left. They, got, they made tents out in the wilderness and they did that in order to remember and celebrate how God provided for their ancestors while they were, were in the wilderness. Now, some of you are like, I don't like camping. There's too many bugs. It's sweaty. There's no AC. Everybody's like really close together. Listen, okay, you're moder- spoiled, spoiled modern people. During this time, there was no AC. So they were used to this. They loved this journey. They loved going out into the wilderness to remember how God had provided for their ancestors. But what is interesting is that if you have read what the Israelites were like in the wilderness, you would know that it was a time of grumbling, of complaining, of turning their backs on God, of rebelling against God, of trying to even kill the one who God sent them to free them. And they're even making this this golden calf to worship instead of worshiping God. I mean, how much do you have to hate God to create this golden calf to worship. I mean, God's probably like, okay, one, you're creating something to worship while I'm right here. And he said, but he's probably like, but it's a golden calf. Like, can't you at least make a lion or something cool? Like, why is this a golden calf? Such an insult to God in doing this. And so here's the interesting part. The Israelites hated the wilderness when they were there. But here we see them celebrating. Why? Because it was only when they looked back that they realized that God was providing for them. They didn't recognize it when they were in the midst of walking through the wilderness. Much of the struggle, the pain, the suffering that you are walking, your lack of happiness, your lack of joy, most of the struggle that you are walking through right now, years from now, and most definitely when you are in heaven looking back, you are going to rejoice at how God provided for you when you had no idea that he was doing it. Do you see what God is doing though in the wilderness? He's He's teaching us to trust him. He's teaching us to lean on him. He's teaching us to go to him when we are thirsty. You are walking in the wilderness right now. So picture that. You're walking in the desert, 
towards your home in paradise, but you are struggling along the way. You're grumbling to God. You're mad at him. Admit, admit that sometimes you are mad at God. You don't trust him. I, I, know, I know, Joe. You don't trust him. Sometimes maybe it feels like you hate him, but you're like, I don't know what to do with this feeling right now. Sometimes you're doubting him. Sometimes you make up these idols in your life to, wor- to worship like, like a boat or like, like your family or like your jobs or your career or even yourself. The wilderness is ultimately revealing the distrust that is in your heart so that it might be exposed, so that then God can teach you to trust him. In the movie Karate Kid, there's the famous scene where Danielson wants to learn how to fight. And so he goes to Mr. Miyagi, and Mr. Miyagi's going to teach him to fight. And Mr. Miyagi says, okay, you ready? And he's like, yeah. And Mr. Miyagi's like, okay, go paint my fence. He's like, okay, I'll go paint your fence. And then he said, then Mr. Mary says, go wax my car. And so Daniel's son is beginning to get frustrated. He's grumbling about it. He's mad at Mr. Miyagi. And then all of a sudden there's this scene where like Mr. Miyagi throws a punch at him and Daniel's son blocks it. And you realize all of his muscles were being trained to fight, but he had no idea it was happening. Mr. Miyagi was doing for him exactly what he needed. You are, in the, you are in the wilderness right now. And God is strengthening your trust muscles. But the reality is that the same way that Daniel's son did not know that he, why he was painting the fence or waxing the car, but had to trust Mr. Miyagi the same way right now, you are walking through struggles and you have no idea why you are walking through them in the wilderness, but one day you're going to look back and celebrate what God was doing and see that he was teaching you to trust him. He's not going to tell you why you are struggling. If he tells you why you are struggling, then you are going to say, okay, that's good. He wants you to trust him. He wants you to go to him even when you don't know why. You don't know what your future is. Well, you do know what your future is. You don't know why you're suffering in the moment. But he wants you to go to him and trust him in the midst of it. One of the main ways to characterize what life is like in the wilderness is thirst. What will you go to when you're thirsty? You're going to go to whatever you trust in the most. And what Jesus keeps on saying is, come to me. All of you who are thirsty, come to me, and I'm going to give you living waters. That's what he's saying in verse 37 and verse 38. But the Israelites, they kept going to all the wrong things over and over and over again, and Jesus wants us to come to him. So the question is, what is this living water? In the Old Testament, Water, especially the water being poured out, is referring to all of the promises of God that are being poured down upon those who believe in him. And so what are those promises, these living waters that are being poured down upon us if we believe? They are freedom, a new freedom. They are a new heart. And they're a new home in paradise. Those are the three promises that we're getting. And the key here is that you got to see the order of the promises. And if you mix up the order, it's going to mess you all up. The first in the order is freedom. 
the Israelites were slaves to this evil Egyptian empire that was holding them captive. And they couldn't get out, and so they cry out to God, and God frees them. But as God frees them, he doesn't send them immediately right to paradise, right into the promised land. He brings them out into the wilderness. And the same is true for us. We are slaves to a world of sin. We are being held captive by it. We even try not to sin, but we can't help it. We keep doing it over and over and over again. We can't stop doing it. And so the first of the great promises of Christ is that he is setting us free from our sin, meaning that our sin no longer tells us what our destiny is or what our destination is going to be. It doesn't have a hold on our destiny or our destination anymore. So basically what is happening now for you is you have one foot in heaven, but you have one foot on the earth. And you're beginning to learn now how to live like people of heaven while on the earth. And that's what life is in the wilderness. But here's, the, here's our problem. We have been slaves for so long that we don't really know how to live free. We don't really know how to live like people of heaven while we're on the earth. And so what we keep doing is we keep going back to this slavery. And that's exactly what the Jewish people kept doing. You know, one of the worst places to live on this earth is in the slums of India. And here's what happens. When somebody's rescued out of the slums of India, and someone tries to teach them how to live outside of the slums, a lot of times what happens is people go back to the slums, not because they have to, but because they want to. They don't know how to live outside of the slums. It's normal for them. It's comfortable for them. And so they want to go back to the slums. And we do the same thing. If you're a Christian, you are free from your sin, but you want to still return to the slums. And do you know how I know that you want to do that? It goes in a conversation, and here's how the conversation goes. You say to me, David, are you saying that I am completely free from my sin, that God, ha that, that God has set me completely free, and that he's going to love me no matter what? Because of what Christ has done on the cross for me, the love that God has for me is constant. It's never stopping. And so no matter what I do or don't do, I'm at home with him in paradise one day. Are you saying that to me, David? And I'm saying, yes, that's exactly what I'm saying. And you're saying, awesome. But I have a question. What's stopping me from sinning then? And you see, you've missed it. The slave in Egypt obeys their master out of fear of being punished. But now the free Jewish man goes out into the wilderness and obeys God out of a love for being freed because he freed him so they love him. It's much different. So you think about you think about a teacher and, and the teacher's students. A lot of times uh, a student obeys the teacher because the teacher says, if, if you don't listen to what I'm saying, I'm going to send you to the office. And so the, teacher says, or the student says, okay, I'm going to listen. But sometimes there's a teacher who cares, who loves, who's investing deeply in the students, 
And so the students listen to the teacher because the teacher really cares. The teacher's really invested. If the students really understand that that teacher is invested. I know some of you are teachers, so if you're saying, well, I have students that don't listen to me, does that mean I'm a bad teacher? That's not what I'm saying. Come on. Um, Here's what I'm saying. When you see the great love of God that he has for you and the cost that he was willing to endure for you on the cross, you say, it's not that I have to obey you. It's that I want to obey you. Look at what you've done for me. Out of love, I want to do the things you're calling me to do, not because I have to, but because I want to. You are free to sin all that you want, but you don't want to because you love God, because you've seen what he has done for you, and you are so moved to live the way that he's called you to live. See, the reason why you are asking about what stops you from sinning is because not only do you want to return to those slumps, but it's because you have a heart problem. We all have this heart problem, and this is the second promise of God, that he's going to give us a new heart, and he's going to change us more and more into who he has made us to one day become. The wilderness is there to not only show the mistrust of your heart, but the Spirit of God is there. This is what the living waters is. The Spirit of God is there teaching you of the love of God so that you might see and know the love of God and then so that you might live the way he's called you to live. The Spirit is changing your heart while you're in the wilderness. You know, the reason that the Olympics, if someone's training for the Olympics, the reason that it sucks so much to train for the Olympics is because, I'm sorry, let me say it this way. The reason that the wilderness sucks so much is the same reason that training for the Olympics sucks. The Olympics doesn't just happen for someone. It's hard work to get there. And here's what's going on. You are being, if you're training for the Olympics, your body is constantly being taken to the limit so that once you reach this limit, your muscles are broken down as far as they can be broken down they rebuild themselves to be stronger than what they were before. Taken to the limit to be stronger. Your struggle in the wilderness is taking your trust muscles to the limit so that they might be rebuilt stronger, so that your faith will be stronger and strengthened, Right now, there's some of you here who are feeling like you're taken to the limit and there's nothing left. And in the midst of it, God, what he's doing is he's taking you to the limit so your faith will be strengthened, made stronger. The spirit is in the wilderness teaching you to trust and love God. And here's what's happening. The spirit is taking your fingers. It's finger by finger And he is removing the grasp that you have of the things of this world so that you might let go of them and take hold of the things that are in the world to come. 
God is building you into something new. He's building you into something greater. So C.S. Lewis talks about this, and this is probably the second or maybe even third time I've read this quote, but it's so good. So he says it so much better than I can, so just listen to this. He says, imagine yourself as a living house. God comes in to rebuild that house. At first, perhaps you can understand what he's doing. He's getting the drains right and stopping the leaks in the roof and so on. You knew those jobs needed doing, and so you're not surprised. But presently, he starts knocking the house about, and the house is you. He starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts abominably and does not seem to make any sense. What on earth is he up to? The explanation is that he is building quite a different house from the one you thought throwing out a new wing here, putting an extra floor there, running up towers, making courtyards. You thought you were being made into a decent little cottage, but he is building you into a palace and he tends, intends to come in and live in it himself. One day, you are gonna live in God's house in paradise. But right now in the wilderness, God has come to live inside of you and he has made you his house here on the earth. That's profound. And see, when the spirit of God begins to live in you, he starts hurting you because he's rebuilding you. He's changing you and he's making you into a palace, a palace in which the waters, the living waters are flowing into you. But listen, they're not just flowing into you. They're also flowing into you and then out of you. When you become a Christian, why don't you just die and go to heaven? Because God has work for you to do here. The wilderness isn't just to change you. The wilderness is there so that you might be filled with these living waters and then pour these living waters out into others so that they might be changed as well. Many of you right now, right in this very moment, you are consuming these living waters. Think of it like this. You are consuming ministry right now and that's perfect. That's exactly what we wanna be doing as a church you being filled with these, these waters, with the spirit pouring into you. And I want you to know that you are being filled by these living waters because right now there are people, there are people praying right now. There are people in the grove who are producing ministry right now through their time, talent, and treasure so that ministry can be poured into you. And there will come a day when you, when God has called you to produce ministry as well. If we're really being the church, then it's going to mean that it's going to look like this. There, the waters, it's going to look like a water pump of the living waters constantly flowing into one person and out of that person into another. Constantly producing minist consuming ministry and producing ministry. And, and by the way, if you are producing ministry that doesn't mean you aren't consuming ministry. If you're going to produce a healthy ministry, you have to also consume healthy ministry. So maybe you're saying, you're probably saying right now, well, isn't producing ministry just for people who work at the church? And the answer is no. 
actually what the Bible says is that it's the job of the people who work at the church to equip all of you for the ministry that God has called you to. Actually, you are the real ministers, not me. You guys are. I'm just here to equip you to go out into the world and to be ministers of the gospel. You say, well, what does that look like for me? And I say, well, I don't know. I think you got to pray about it. See what God's leading you to do. But there are some ways that right now, if you want to produce ministry, if you're like, yes, I want to do that. I want to produce ministry. So here are some ways you can do it right now. First, you know, we're, 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 we're five and a half months in to launching the church. And one of the major needs that I've seen in our area, there's two of them, two major needs that aren't being met. The first is walking alongside those who are depressed. The second is offering friendship to the elderly. Those are two major needs in our city that are not being met. So you say, well, I don't really know how to walk alongside those who are depressed. Well, you know, I don't really know how to do it that well either, but let's figure it out together. Come to me afterwards and say, hey, yeah, I'm interested in that. Let's, let's talk about what's some ways that we can start doing this as a church. And then in offering friendship to the elderly, if that's something that you're interested in, come to me and talk to me about it afterwards. I don't really know fully what that looks like yet, but we're going to figure it out together. So that's the first way right now. If you want to start producing ministry, come and talk to me about that. We can start planning what that's going to look like. Second, what we have, I mean, this is how our church was built on what we call gospel communities. And gospel communities are a place, this is the primary place where people are cared for in our church. And in this place, this is people who are producing ministry and consuming. It's a community of people who are consuming ministry because there are people there who are producing ministry. And the way we equip People, if you're like, yeah, I want to produce ministry in one of these places. Now, this, this is an investment in you. This is an investment in your own growth. So we have what we call discipleship groups. And the primary purpose of this group is, so, is for you to grow and also so that you might produce ministry in these gospel communities. So if you're in a discipleship group, you're there because there's going to be, there's, you're producing ministry in these gospel communities. So if you want to join a discipleship group, come and talk to me afterwards. The third way that you can produce ministry right now. So right now, there are people who believe in what the Grove is doing, and they want to see you be filled with living waters, and they want to see our city be filled with living waters. And so here's what they're doing. They're, they are tithing. I know, listen, I know I'm not supposed to talk about this. You don't talk about this. Tithing means giving 10% of your income. I know I'm not supposed to talk about this, right? This is pastors don't talk about this. Listen, these are people in the church who it is a joy for them to see you be filled with the living waters. We could not be the church, we could not be the church without these people. And it's a joy for them to give so that you can be filled with these living waters and our city could be filled with these living waters so that we might see change in our city. And the fourth way, if you want to produce ministry, the fourth thing you can do is just simply invite your friends. One of the things that we, we saw 
what we're, the things that we're seeing is one of the weakest parts that we have as a church is to be people who are inviting their friends. So friends inviting their friends. So what we're going to do is for the, for the rest of the summer, we're going to try to figure out how we can be a church that is filled with people who are inviting their friends. So if you want to help us figure that out, come and talk to me again afterwards. Okay? So again, one of the easiest ways that you can produce ministry here is just simply inviting your friends. But ultimately, the final promise that is being made is that we will have this new home in paradise with God. And here's the key. The Christian life is about looking forward to your future home in heaven with God all the while realizing that right now you are walking in the wilderness. You are in the desert. Have you heard of the Stockdale Paradox? It's referring to Admiral Jim Stockdale. He was a prisoner of war for eight years. He was captured, and he was the highest-ranking officer in this group of people that were captured. And he was tortured over 20 times, and he helped many of his men survive. And when he was interviewed, and they asked him, how did you help so many people survive? He said, I taught them this, this concept that we must never lose faith that we will prevail in the end with also our ability to confront the most brutal facts of our current reality. So he went on and he said, the people who died were the pessimists. He said they died because they gave up hope. They didn't think they were going to get out, so they just gave up. He said the second people that died were the optimists. He said the optimists died because they thought they were going to get out in a couple months, and a couple months kept coming and going, and so they died of a broken heart. And he said, but the people who survived are the ones who didn't lose hope of the future, getting out, all the while confronting the brutal facts of their current reality. The Christian life is about faith that in the end you will be at home in paradise all the while confronting the most brutal facts of what life is like in the wilderness. It's about, listen guys, this is about trust that he is providing for you and he's caring for you even when you don't think that he is. Even when your heart says he's nowhere to be found. It's about faith that he really is still there, giving you what you need, even though you don't think that he is. And the question that you've got to be asking yourself right now is how do you get these living waters of freedom of this new heart and this new home in paradise? When the Israelites were in the wilderness, they're thirsty. And so they cry out to God, and God says to Moses, take the rod and take this rod and strike the rock. And when you strike that rock, water is going to flow out of that rock. The New Testament in 1 Corinthians 10.4 calls Christ that rock. Here's what that means. 
Christ was struck with the rod of justice on the cross. He was struck so that in him being struck, out of him would flow flow rivers of living water. Listen, if he isn't struck, there is no freedom. If he isn't struck, there is no new heart. And if he isn't struck, it is eternal death. But because he is struck, in our place, we were the rock that was meant to be struck. He is struck in our place. And now because of that, we have this new freedom where we are completely free from our sin, has no hold on us. We have this heart that's beginning to change more and more and more. And we are given this promise of a new home in paradise, the home that we have always wanted all because he was struck in our place so that we could drink of him the living waters. And so let's go to him, put our trust in him. Let's pray. God, I pray that everybody here in this room understands that there is a freedom that changes everything for us. that we can walk having sin have no hold on our future. And that not only that, but we are given a promise that while we are in the wilderness, we are being cared for. But not only that, that the Spirit is working on our hearts, changing us to trust God more and more and more so that we might love Him more. And God, we pray too that you would show us that there is this new world that's coming to us that there is a great hope. We aren't stuck here, but we have given this, been given this promise of a new hope. God, let us take hold of that truth, please. And God, as we remember that and we cling to you, help us walk through this life knowing that suffering will come but somehow, some way, we're going to look back at it knowing, rejoicing that there was good that's going to come out of it. And God, we pray that as we give to you, we would be generous, not, God, not with our money, but just with our lives, that we would say, God, I am no longer my own, but I am yours. God, teach us to be people who chase you, who follow you, because we have seen this great love that you have for us and you have pursued us. Bring your kingdom, God, through us right now. Produce ministry, produce the living waters in us so that your kingdom might flow out of us. We want your glory to be seen and known in our city, God. And God, as we walk in this wilderness, provide for us all the ways we need you to provide. And help us to forgive each other in the wilderness. Where we're harboring resentment, we're harboring anger towards each other, 
towards our family, towards our friend, towards our neighbors, towards our coworkers. God, help us forgive the way that you have forgiven us. And as we walk, that we've been freed from evil, the temptation is still there. And so God, we pray that you would deliver us over and over and over again so your name would be glorified, so your kingdom would come. God, we cling to you and you alone. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.